Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins, founder and president of Katra, welcoming you to another edition of Canadians and Old Time Radio. Mentioning Katra, I'd just like to say that when you have a minute, you might want to check out the website. It's www.katra.ca. I think you'll find some interesting goodies up there. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to present an episode of CBC Stage. The CBC had uh, a series called Stage, which ran for a number of years, and they'd call uh, they'd call their uh, program Stage Forty Six or Stage Fifty or stage 52, whatever year it happened to be. I don't happen to have a date for this particular drama, but it is called Staircase. CBC Stage. Radio Drama Showcase, a new play by Rod Hayward, The Staircase, an audio fantasy for adults, starring Larry Reynolds as Martin, with Jack Goth as the soldier and Harold Alston as the storyteller. Original music composed and conducted by Lucio Agostini. Production and direction, Fred D.L. The Staircase by Rod Hayward. staircase had come from, or why it should have chosen that particular out-of-the-way place for its sudden appearance. He had certainly never seen it before, or anything like it for that matter. Moreover, the day had begun like every Sunday. A hasty breakfast. A pleasant drive from the stifling city smog to the mountain air. The tiny path that twists among the poplars and birches then disappears in the grasses of alpine meadows to emerge again among the giant boulders of the northern slope. The precarious descent to his valley far below. Everything was as it should be. 
that is almost everything. Today, the atmosphere in the valley was different. No squirrels, not a single bird song. Even the breeze dared not desecrate that eerie stillness. Martin raised his eyes and spied the staircase. trees, higher than the neighboring peaks, it rose straight into the unblemished sky, a magnificent black staircase reflecting so vividly the sun's rays that it seemed to glow from an inner light. Expecting it to evaporate like some elusive mirage, Martin edged forward, posed one foot lightly on the bottom tread and shielded his eyes from the glare as his gaze struggled to bridge the endless series of steps stretching upward. Was that an entrance? Perhaps not. At any rate, the promise of adventure was too enticing to ignore, and Martin's natural curiosity finally overcame his apprehension. surrounding emptiness. The valley receded to an indistinguishable mass of trembling foliage. But Martin soon yielded to the sun's warmth and the soothing tranquility of the staircase and climbed effortlessly as though his entire weight had been dispersed in the atmosphere to pour down on the minute valley far below. Powerless to resist, Martin was overcome by a completely irrational burst of childish glee that he himself could not explain. <laughs> it's all so strange. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I should be frightened or, or dizzy. And here I am giggling like a schoolboy. I must keep my wits about me. Heaven only knows what's in store for me. <laughs> It's no use. No use at all. Your lady. <laughs> this is absolutely ridiculous. Now pull yourself together, Martin. You idiot. Your lady. I need a song. I need a stair-climbing sort of song. For climbing stairs, that is. Let me see now. Up the stairs I climb. Up the stairs I climb. Now I'll have to find a rhyme. Rhyme? Climb! Up the stairs I climb. Now I'll have to find a rhyme. <laughs> See how high I go, high lily, high lily, high low. <laughs> well, how do you like that, Christopher Robin? 
What's this? Why, it's a soldier, little girl. And on my staircase. They look very engrossed in whatever they're doing. Maybe they won't notice me if I'm extra quiet. I'll just slip by. It was your turn last time. So? So? Why should you go twice? It's the rule. That's not a reason. It's the best reason in the... A few more steps. Almost. I see you. Who, me? You are a bit obvious, old man. After all, we're not blind. I, I didn't want to interrupt. You've already done that. I'm sorry. Now, where were we? It was my turn. You lost your turn, remember? I didn't. Excuse me, but... What is it this time? Well, I was wondering what all those marbles were doing, strewn all over the step. Seems fairly obvious to me. Absolutely obvious. It's the game. Oh. Now then, what were we saying? That it's your turn. There's no sense in sulking about it. I protest. Protest all you want. It's still my turn. And where do you think you're going? Well, I have to be on my way. I thought that... Are your hands clean? Pardon? Your hands. Are they clean? Well, I think so. I've been... Let me see them. Uh, turn them. And your teeth? My teeth. Well, smile. More. Have you washed behind your ears? Yes. Fine. Then sit down and wait your turn. I'll move over a bit. Oh, watch out, little girl. You'll fall over the edge. <laughs> I don't see what's so amusing. <laughs> no, no, I don't suppose you do. Anyway, I don't know how to play. <laughs> oh, fiddlesticks. Here, take these marbles. But... No buts about it. You've held up the game long enough as it is. Go ahead. They won't bite you. Are we going to sit here gabbing all day? Good grief. Take them and let's get on with it. All right. But I can't stay long, I'm afraid. Finally. It's your turn. Already? I just got here. I thought it was my turn. It's his turn. I don't know the rules. Play. Don't be difficult. We'll explain everything as the game goes on. It's not complicated. Play. Not allowed. Disgraceful. What? Not, not to aim. I don't have the right not to aim if I don't want to. You have not. It's the first rule. Well, nobody told me. It's the law of nature. You feel it instinctively. Here, shoot again. Come on. Don't look so glum. She could have made you miss your turn altogether. I suppose. Try again. What do I aim for? Whatever you like. The important thing is to aim. Play. Missed completely. I'm afraid I'm not good very good. Good shot. You're a natural. Here. Take these two. Oh, why? You won them. It's the rule. What rule? My word, you are pig-headed. If you don't want them, say so, and we'll put them back with the others. No, it's not that I don't want them. I just don't understand why I... My turn. Excuse me. Hmm? Why is it that I won those marbles when I didn't even touch them? Because you didn't touch them. Oh. But I didn't touch any of the others either. Those were not in the play. Oh, I see. <laughs> Too bad. What do you expect with all the talking? No excuses. I'm sorry, I didn't... Shh. You see? I... You're blocking my light. Well, I, I didn't mean... Shh. Only one. You have done better. All the same. It was easier before. 
when there were fewer distractions. Decidedly. Are you going to play or aren't you? Oh, yes. Well, what are you waiting for? I'm not sure I know quite what... Play! Yes, of course. Mm, pretty good. You sure you haven't played before? Never. Here. But I... I've been after that green, clear marble since the start. It's the best one. Lucky devil. Thank you. You wouldn't like to trade, would you? No, I don't think so. Maybe later? Hmm? I really should go soon. Go? Up the staircase. Oh. Then again, it could be a lot of work for nothing. You've never gone up? Where? To the top of the stairs. Oh, no. It never interested you? What? Well, to climb them. Perhaps at first. It's hard to remember back that far. I might just stay myself. It's actually not half bad once you get used to it. When you're finished babbling, we can get on with the game. Oh, I didn't realize that you were... The game continued without interruption from its participants, each engrossed in winning or losing marbles, seemingly without rhyme or reason. The clicking of marbles and their pulsating colors mesmerized Martin. Confusion yielded to fascination. Fascination to avarice accompanied by a gnawing sense of insecurity. Martin began anxiously to take stock of his winnings. One, two, three... What about you? Me? Yes, you. Are you going up? Six, seven, eight... Uh, what? The staircase. Are you going up it? Maybe later. Say, you haven't seen my green marble by any chance, have you? Mm, have you looked in your pockets? Oh, that's a thought. Sorry. It counts. He jostled me. It was an accident. It counts all the same. It's my turn. Have you seen my green marble? It's got to be here somewhere. What a nuisance you are. But it's the best one. Serves you right. No, you really are throwing everything out of kilter, old man. Now, it's your turn. You're not thinking of interfering with my shot. Play. She can't do that, can she? I mean... There must be something forbidding. Not that I'm aware of. A rule? Nothing. It's not possible that there not be a rule. It's your turn. Play. All right. But I warn you that I'm keeping my eye on you. It's going to go over the edge. Stop it. Do something. Oh, tough luck. She let it go over on purpose. You should have paid less attention to her and more to where you were shooting. Well, I thought she was going to sabotage my turn. You could have stopped it if you'd wanted. Not me. You didn't even try. It's against the rule. It's an unfair rule. All the same, it's the rule. Then there's the forfeit. Oh, what a shame. It's his own fault. The forfeit? Six marbles. What? Six? Three for each of us. I only have one left. <laughs> you should have thought of that before you started playing so foolishly. Do I have to? It's the rule. Well? One, two, three, and three more. Come on now. It's not the end of the world. But one marble? 
You'll catch up in no time. Would you like to take my turn? No, thank you. Very well. Are you sure no one's seen my green marble? I'm certain I didn't lose it. You're not accusing us of stealing it, are you? I wasn't thinking of you in particular. You know very well there's nobody else around. That's true. It's your turn now. I'm not ready yet. You're passing this round then? Not at all. Then you have to play. And what about my green marble? Enough is enough. We're getting pretty sick of this green marble story. Are you playing or aren't you? I'm playing. Hmm, finally. Shh. You're trembling. I'm not. Would you like me to shoot for you? You know very well that's not permitted. Play. Well? How was that? It, it didn't touch anything. Okay, I admit perhaps it wasn't brilliant, but, but even so... I could lend him another one. No. I suppose not. The rule? Yes, of course, the rule. Well, if that's the case... You're leaving? Well, since I have to. Do you expect me to stay without marbles? I guess not. It's just that... Uh, I... I... Well, it will never be quite the same with only two. Something would always be lacking. I don't see what I can do about that. No, of course. Well, I, I still have a long way to go. But would you mind some company? You? I still haven't been to the top. It's so far, and I didn't want to undertake it alone, but with two, it's bound to be less tedious. May I? If you wish. I'll need a minute to collect my belongings. Oh. Oh. I seem to be a bit stiff. Would you like some help with those sacks? You might take this one if it's not too much bother. Good grief. What have you got in this sack? Rocks? Marbles. I should have known. Let's get underway. We've got a long trip ahead of us. Well, you go on ahead. I'll catch up. You'll come too, won't you? You know I'm not free to leave this step like you are. Oh, I never thought about it much. In that case, I'll stay. No. Everyone leaves. Some sooner than others, but they always leave. What will you do by yourself? Play. Of course. Maybe someone will join you later. Maybe. I wish you could come. Goodbye. You'll see. I, I won't be long. Then we'll play for as long as you want. I'll be back. I promise. Each lost in his personal thoughts, the two men climbed silently. Martin pondering the inexplicable disappearance of his beautiful green marble. The soldier, haunted by the image of his little companion, condemned to play her lonely game far below. The sun was still on the meridian, its rays saturating the staircase with an invigorating warmth. Martin breathed in the freshness and felt better, as if the air discharged from his lungs liberated him from any anxiety.
A sensation of limitless power replaced his fatigue, and he had the impression that he was free to do anything, that merely wishing something would make it his. She really was very special. Hmm? Oh, yes, it was a very special one. If only she'd been able to come part way with us. It was the best one. I know she wanted to come. We were very close, despite the bickering. Pardon? It was more part of the game than anything else. I... I don't expect I'll ever meet anyone quite like her. Oh. Rather nice, despite her faults. She had a heart of gold, you know. The rules. It was the rules that got in the way. Then, of course, she was only a little girl. A mere child. You can't expect wonders. Maybe she'll come later. I doubt it. It's always possible, though. I suppose. You can take her back a souvenir from the portal. She'd like that. The portal? The entrance to the monument at the top. Look. Oh. You seem surprised. I didn't know there was an end. I mean, I thought about it naturally a long time ago, but... But I didn't really believe in it. And so close. Nonsense. It's barely visible. We're nowhere near it yet. And the sounds? What's that? The music. Don't you hear the music? No. Perhaps we should rest a bit. Hmm? Are you tired? Well, not really. Well, well, a bit, maybe. Then again, it could be closed. What? The monument. Oh, I doubt it. It's not really the tourist season. Well, they'd have put a sign at the bottom informing people if it were closed. It's always done in those cases. Mm, I never thought of that. You're shivering. You're cold. A, a, a little. The sun is so warm. Here, take my jacket. No, 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 really. I insist. Oh, thank you. I should have lent you one of my marbles, no matter what. It's not important. I was wrong. It wasn't your fault. It was the rule. Yes. The rule. I'm glad I joined you. So am I. side by side, no longer feeling the need to converse. The portal beckoned in the distance. Its magnetic beauty occupied Martin's entire attention until a voice surged up behind him. At last. Well, who are you? Well, I didn't mean to startle you. Have you been here all the time? Naturally. Why didn't we see you when we went past? Well, you must have been preoccupied. But here you are, finally. You can't imagine how worried I was about you. I believed you dead. My imagination was running wild, imagining a thousand and one atrocities. I said to myself, that's it. He's succumbed to the weariness of the journey, or, or has been captured, robbed, tortured, crushed. Or maybe he's even been overcome by dizziness and has fallen into the sea below. I had all but lost hope. You were expecting us? Oh, not exactly. I expected one of you. No one mentioned two people. Most irregular. Still, I suppose we shall have to make the best of it. 
Oh, not that it's any inconvenience, mind you. You're both most welcome. Well, personally, I don't see how anyone could have spoken of me. <laughs> Nobody knows I'm here. Likewise. You didn't meet anyone en route? No. No one. Unless, of course... Oh. No, it's not possible. She's not allowed to leave the game. It's strange. Very strange. And yet, I have the vague impression that someone spoke to me of a person. Of a man. A young man. With blonde hair and a tender face. I remember. I was told. Assured that he'd arrive soon. I was promised. Oh, come, come. N neither of us is blonde. He might still arrive. Perhaps later. You mustn't give up hope. No, it's easy to say. You wouldn't like to stay a while, would you? You shouldn't continue your journey at this hour. Soon it'll be dark and you're bound to lose your way. She's right. Oh, don't be ridiculous. It's as bright as it ever was. The sun hasn't budged an inch since I first set out. I could have sworn it's been getting darker and colder. It's your imagination. The rest would do you good. Couldn't we stay a minute or two anyway? It wouldn't put us out much, and it would make her happy. Please. If you like. Oh, you can put your sacks on the bottom step out of the way. Make yourselves comfortable. Oh, here, take one of my cushions. The woman settled gracefully into a mountain of black velvet cushions where the sun caressed her inert form and glowed in the swirls of hair flowing over her bare shoulders down to the outline of her young breasts. With a deep sigh, she closed her eyes, doleful, penetrating eyes, the sort of eyes that, when they fix an object, strip away its defenses and pierce its most intimate depths. And yet it was the radiance of her face that captivated Martin, a face that shone like the midday sun. Lovely she is. She's beautiful. Shh. You'll disturb her. She looks so sad. Not much time to get to the top. That's right. You'll have to hurry if you want to arrive before nightfall. What about you? Oh, she shouldn't be left alone, unprotected, you know. My exact thoughts. I think I'll stay here a while and make sure she's all right. There's actually no hurry. The monument's not going to melt away or anything. But don't let me stop you from leaving. Well, like you say, she should have someone to take care of her. I wouldn't want you to be inconvenienced. It's no trouble, really. The two men sat glumly, with only the woman's soft, regular breathing to bridge the icy silence separating them. A small hand, its dainty fingers curled upward, slipped down the cushions and came to rest only inches from Martin's own hand. It was too inviting to resist. Contemplating intently the sky above him, Martin allowed his fingers to grope distractedly along the step. You're going to wake her. What? Your hand. Oh, I hadn't noticed. Garbage. Move back. Well, I don't see why. You're blocking the sun. She can't sleep with it in her eyes. You're stopping she? the heat. <laughs> you see? She's shivering. She's cold. What are you doing with my jacket? Covering her up. Will you wake her? Shh. There. Look what you've done. Uh, oh. I... Oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to disturb you, but you were shivering. I was afraid you were getting cold. Oh, thank you. It was very thoughtful. Actually, it is a little cool. 
You sure you don't need it? Oh, quite sure. Here, let me warm your hands. You're very kind. Can I do anything? You are moaning in your sleep. Oh, I was frightened. I dreamed you'd gone. And leave you all alone? You really are most considerate. Anything at all? Well, I feel much better now. What strong, warm hands you have. Do you need anything else? Well, a small glass of water, if it wouldn't be too much to ask. The gold decanter over there on the edge of the step is what... I'll, I'll get it. Be careful. It's extremely fragile. Don't, don't Watch kick it out. over. Oh. I... I didn't mean to. You see, I, I wanted to do something for you. To please you, and I... It was very valuable. It was beautiful. Yes, it was. And the only one, it was an antique. Oh. Uh, there, there, now. now. Don't cry. Look, I brought you a gift. Here, in this sack. Marbles. Wherever did you find them? I won them. They're trophies, so to speak. This one is for you. Well, so thank you. Oh, it's lovely. If I'd won any, I'd have given them all to you. A hundred, a thousand. This one marble is worth more than a thousand to me. I didn't mean that. I, that is, I'd like to give you something. Give you everything to make you happy. We don't need a thousand or even a hundred to be happy, do we? No, we don't. You really do have a tender face. And you're very lovely. I'll be on my way, I guess. You're welcome to stay a while with us. We'd be glad to have you. No, thank you, really. I, I don't want to interfere. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, wait. Uh, take this jacket. It's still very warm. You keep it. Oh, no, I'm fine now. You'll probably need it, though. I warn you, the temperatures can be quite erratic at these altitudes. Thank you. Are you certain you don't want to come? Quite certain, thanks. About your decanter, I... I really am sorry. It's not important anymore. Goodbye. Take care. Goodbye. plodded mechanically over the interminable series of steps and contemplated the arch that loomed above him against the empty blue sky. Between its voluted columns on either side of the entrance sprang up distorted figures, their robes twisted around their trunks, the hollow eye cavities of their flat, expressionless faces surveying his approach. dark interior, a mass of plaintive voices chanted a rich and somber refrain. A blend of joy and grief, simple in its complexity, descending the staircase to envelop him like a cumbersome blanket. Coming with increasing speed, dizziness seized him, but he struggled on. 
Another step. His foot reached out, and another, higher, more painful. The staircase undulated beneath him like a monstrous black snake, and his ears throbbed with the chant swelling in his brain as he staggered over two more steps. Again a step. He clutched at it with his nails, but it hurled him against the following one. He clambered up a step, wavered, righted himself, but too late. The next caught him at the ankles, and he went down heavily, only to be tossed to his knees while the following step dropped to catch him, then soared up, catapulting him onward. Terrified, he opened his mouth to scream, but the sound wedged in his throat. Another step hurtled down on him, and still another. And then he smashed into an object with such impact. Are you all right, old man? Is that any way to treat a body? You might have killed me. Well, it was the staircase. It, it, it... I suppose you're in the habit of chosling people without excusing yourself. Excuse me. Are you hurt? Uh, could have been worse, I guess. Let me help you up. You don't look well at all. Uh, a little muscle failure. Funny, but my bones have started to ache lately. And my eyes don't seem to be what they used to. Not to mention my memory, which gets cloudy and... Uh, <coughs> maybe you could help me to the edge of the landing. Oh, of course. Oh, thank you, young man. Oh. What did you say your name was again? Martin. Uh, Martin. Martin. It seems to me I must have known a Martin sometime or another. <coughs> Careful now. Don't you find it a bit chilly? No. Oh, I could have sworn it's gotten quite cold in the last little while. Are you feeling better now? I'll just rest a minute. I have to be on my way soon. On your way? Yes. It's very late and there's not too much time. I must go. Where? To the top, of course. But we're at the top. Oh, well then, to the bottom. Or maybe uh, everything is so hazy. I know there's somewhere I have to be. When you feel stronger, we'll visit the monument together. Monument? You mean you haven't noticed it? Look! Oh, the outside is the most interesting part. You've been inside? Uh, I don't think so. Well, then, why did you say the outside was more interesting than the inside? <laughs> did I say that? But just now, you said... Go back home, young man. After coming this far? Are you blind? It's an ugly, gruesome pile of stone falling apart. The authorities overlooked it. It should have been condemned long ago. <coughs> oh, you're wrong. It's, it's majestic and beautiful. What could possibly be wrong with it? Go back. Don't ask any question. In the end, it's the easiest way. I have to see what's inside. To understand. Suit yourself. Will, will you be all right? I'll have a little sleep while I'm waiting. <coughs> Here. <laughs> Let me tuck my jacket around you. You're very kind. I won't be long. You rest. We'll talk when I get back from visiting the monument. 
Martin groped his way into the darkness beyond the portal, letting his feet explore every inch of the unknown terrain ahead. The dank air choked his nostrils, but his heart pounded with anticipation when he spied a point of light in the distance, undoubtedly a secret chamber, an Eden, whose delights would exceed the most fertile imagination. Soon the arch would unveil its secret to him. The circle of light gradually widened as Martin drew nearer. Not too much farther, he hurried forward, heedless of any obstacles underfoot, only a few more feet. Out of breath, Martin at last surged from the darkness into the blinding clarity of the chamber whose treasures were to be his. This final effort had drained what remained of his strength, and his hand trembled as it left his face. When his eyes became accustomed to the brilliance, Martin surveyed his surroundings. Not a chamber at all, but a cold white sun and a terrace with a magnificent black staircase that descended infinitely into the emptiness below. Stunned, he collapsed onto the cold metal, sobbing and shaking uncontrollably until, at last exhausted, he drifted into a troubled sleep. Excuse me, sir. Are you all right? What? I'm sorry to wake you, but you were shivering and, and coughing so hard, I was afraid you were ill. I, I seem to have caught a slight chill. But I'll be better in a minute. <laughs> uh, have, you, have you been here long? No. Well, that is... I don't think I... It's difficult to recall. No. No, not long. Well, you weren't expecting me, at least. No? I've met some very strange people. They weren't going anywhere. People playing or resting. All waiting. I'd have stayed, but the monument was the only thing that seemed to make any sense. The trouble was in deciphering the rules. Y yes, the rules. I wish I could do something to help you. You must be the caretaker of the arch. The arch? I hope it's still open. No. Well, it seems to well, me... I've come a very long way, and... I, How I'm... grotesque it looks. Oh, nonsense. You're imagining things. <coughs> no, you relax. I'll tell you all about it afterwards. Keep this... Keep this coat wrapped around you. It will help you stay warm. Thank you, Mr... Uh... Martin. Martin? I seem... To recall, Martin. Martin. nerves calmed as he floated in a vacuum of blue and from his numbed brain a 
warmth spread through his icy limbs in soothing waves, radiating from a clear green marble that sparkled invitingly in the midday sun. Staircase by Rod Hayward. Harold Alston was the narrator. Larry Reynolds was heard as Martin. Jack Goth as the soldier. Leslie Saunders as the girl. Mickey McDonald as the woman. Tony Cramwriter as the old man. And Donald Truss as the man. Original music was composed and conducted by Lucio Agostini. Production and direction by Fred D.L. Technical operations by Ralph Thurn, with sound and special effects by Barry Wilkinson. For the remainder of this program period, we present a new poem by Harold Alston of Calgary. Oceanid, narrated by John Neville. Artistic Director of the Citadel Theatre in Edmonton, with Harp Decor by Regina Watson. Oceanid by Harold Alston. Against the drag of a thousand icy wet fingers, his lungs close to bursting, he fought his way upwards. His heart pounded out eternal seconds until his head rose above the water. Frantically, he flailed his arms and legs to stay afloat. His teeth chattered, his ears and nose filled with water. His mouth formed a cry for help, but no sound came. Despair spread through him. His struggle grew less. His grip on life slackened. He almost sank. And then he saw it, a ship's door ripped from a cabin by the blast. Up and down it rode with the motion of the waves, a solid rectangle of hope, it bobbed closer as if to tease him. He clutched, and even as his fingers touched its edge, it bobbed away again beyond his reach, only to surge back again with such speed and force, it rammed his shoulder and sent pain screaming through his body. It fell with a smack in a trough, and he was thrown together with it. Clutching the brass handle of the door, he wriggled his spent and aching body aboard. He lay prostrate on his life raft, tossing up and down. His stomach churned. Nauseated, he wished to drown to still the sickening motion of his craft. He shuddered at the nearness of despair, and like a wet dog, shook himself and willed to live again. He loosened his belt and passed it through the handle of the door and buckled it again. Strapped to the door, he could hardly move, but neither could he sink. He burst out laughing. A surge of happiness brought a lump to his throat. A fit of coughing pumped seawater from inside him, rushing through his mouth and nose until he gasped for breath. And as his body cleared itself and fresh air filled his lungs, the squall passed on and left behind a calm which brought him a peace he never felt before. 
Awakened by the sun, he felt refreshed and dry. He tried to move, but something held him fast. He froze with fear until remembering he laughed at himself. The belt, of course, the belt. Unbuckling it, still laughing, he freed himself, sat up and looked around. A vast expanse of green, glassy water stretched out forever on every side. No ship, no passengers, no crew. A community of which he had, however briefly, been a part was gone and he was quite alone. The sun, so comforting before, was burning now. He wished he had the coat he'd flung away when leaping from the ship. He might have held it up to shade his head. But then again, a heavy coat in that rough sea might well have made him drown. Thus comforting himself, he wondered how to pass the time until someone should come and find him there. He thought of his own room where he could sit and watch his television take him round the world or listen to the early morning radio news while still in bed. He rarely was alone like this, without some sound to take his mind off things. He thought back to his childhood. His mother tucked him in and said, good night. And when she'd gone, he chased away the darkness of his room by singing to himself his nursery rhymes. He tried to sing. His voice made just a cackle, nothing more. His throat was parched. He had seen films where people turned adrift in lifeboats, took a sail and made a bowl in which to catch the rain. He knew that drinking from the sea could make you mad with thirst. If he could catch a fish, it would be wet inside. His buckle belt was bright. A fish might bite. Raw fish. He'd heard somewhere that it was good. A restaurant commercial, that was it. A Japanese girl. He took his belt off and held his pants up while he trolled the shining buckle through the sea. And then he laughed out loud at his own modesty. He took his pants off and with both hands now resumed his fishing, dragging slowly first. And then, his patience gone, he slapped the buckle on the sea in a wild frenzy, bursting from despair until he fell exhausted, burning hot and very dry. He pulled his pants across his face to shield it from the sun and poked a hole through which to breathe. The white flesh of his legs began to burn. He tucked them underneath him and curled up like a ball. A mad thought struck him. This was how he had been born and this how he would die. He wondered with what pangs this fetal coil would enter the beyond. A rush of anger flooded him. He stood up and screamed his hate. Why me, you lousy bastard of a god? What did I ever do? Great sobs racked his body. He fell in a heap and beat out his frustration on the door until his fists were bloody. And from within him welled a broken moan. Oh, no. God, no. He sank into unconsciousness. The elements went to work on him. He woke to feel the brush of something moist against his lips. His eyes were throbbing, and his vision blurred until he slowly saw her face. Her eyes smiled down at him. 
She cradled him against her breast and gently kissed his forehead. Her whisper promised life and told him he must rest. She would take care of him. He slept, and when he woke, he saw the woman climbing back aboard. In her hand, she held a wriggling fish. Deftly, she bit its neck, and it was still. He watched, unable to get up, and saw her make his meal. From round her neck, she took a cord to which was tied a knife. The fillets fell away. She bit a piece and held it to his mouth. He took the fish and pressed the flesh between his tongue and palate. Moisture trickled out and he began to live. Eating was hard and painfully slow. She urged and coaxed him and the simple meal progressed. When he was done, she laid his head in her lap and shielded him from the sun. She whispered, sleep again. Up there is a bank of cloud. When it reaches us, its rain will waken you. That's how it was. And she was there to share the rain with him. He came to life and hugged her with delight. He raised his face and felt the big drops splash upon his cheeks and down his throat. The water made a river down his chest, his belly and his loins. His stamping feet sent spray into the air. And as they watched, a panel on the door filled up with water. They lay down side by side and dipped their faces in the rain and drank their fill. She laughed at him. You must have loved the rain when you were small. He danced and splashed around and yelled, Not rain, it's snow where I come from. Snow must be lots of fun. I've never seen the snow. He dropped beside her panting. It was great fun. My dad made us a sled and we would skim down a hill behind our house. My sister Emma got thrown off a lot, but she would push her face up through the snow and grin right back at us. Our dog would pull our sled back up the hill and bark at us when we slid down. She clapped her hands just like a child. She looked like Emma then. Tell me, she asked, did you like autumn? Fall, we call it. Yes, I liked its colors. Brown and red and gold. But I liked summer best. My father took me fishing in a boat and we caught pickerel and pike and sometimes bass. Those days were great. He seemed to sadden and she said, did something hurt you then? He told her of the night the dog had barked and wakened him to smell the smoke and hear the crackling of the fire. He dashed to Emma's room and struggled down the stairs with her and out the back. As he stumbled with her in his arms, the fire flashed through the house. His father and his mother died. Emma and he were left alone. The woman took his hand and asked him, Where is Emma now? In her last year at college, she hopes to teach music. Then earnestly he gripped her hand and said, I've got to see her. Oh God, I've got to see her. The woman's voice was strong and sure. You'll see her. Take my word. They sat then, holding hands without a word. They shared a closeness he had never felt before, and neither felt the stirring of the waves.
lightning forked into the sea and thunder rolled across the sky. Rain pounded now to sting their flesh. The sea began to heave and toss their tiny craft like a matchwood. They held each other tight, lurching and falling on the pitching raft. Terrified, he watched it come, a giant wave, coiling like a snake to strike its prey. It stabbed the door and flung it high and tossed them far apart. The sea gushed down its throat and robbed him of his breath. The struggle he had thought was over now began again. The sea that toyed with him now rushed in for the kill. He felt her hands grab hold of him. And then, against the fury of the waves, she swam and pulled him with her through a trough where he could catch his breath. He thought he heard her shout, and for the briefest moment saw her point ahead. He flailed his arms and legs to try and help, but mocking him, a huge wave poised above his head, then crashed upon him, and he knew no more. When he came to, he felt beneath his belly something soft and firm. He reached out both his hands and clawed at sand. He tried to roll over and sit up, but didn't have the strength. Two strong hands turned him on his back, and mistily, he saw a black face looking down with smiling eyes. The man knelt on one knee and scooped him up just like a babe. With firm, strong steps, he moved on up the beach. He found his voice and weakly said, The girl. Where is the girl? The big man stopped and said, What girl? There was no girl. You were alone. You must have seen her. She was with me. Please look out to see. The man swung round and they both looked. See her hair floating just out a little way. The big man spoke with sadness in his voice. That seaweed, that's not hair. Believe me, friend, you were alone. He turned and walked on up the beach. She fed me fish she caught herself. She sheltered me and kissed my face and listened to my talk. The big man walked right on. Softly, as if remembering, he said, Sometimes the sea does strange things to us. But first we make you well. Then we will talk. Inside the shelter of a hut, he gently laid him down upon a bed of leaves. He drank strange fruit juice, ate some fish, and when his meal was over, lay back on his bed and fell asleep, lulled by the pounding of the waves upon the shore. Oceanid by Harold Alston. Narrated by John Neville with Harp Decor by Regina Watson. Tonight's program, CBC Stage and Supplement, was a CBC Calgary production. Norris Bick speaking.
And that's this evening's old-time radio. I hope that those of you who enjoy the Canadians Abroad segment weren't too disappointed that we devoted the whole hour to CBC stage, but I don't don't want to neglect those dramatic presentations, so I will be throwing one in every once in a while because they were a real part of... Uh, the activities at uh, the CBC, and it was only just recently that the radio drama department was closed down. More is the pity. Anyway, uh, that'll be it for this week. Hope you uh, have a, a good week ahead, and that we'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs> If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.